0: Thank you, Andrew. Uh, before we jump into the sermon, uh, I wanted to give you guys uh, just something to celebrate. This on Friday, we had a, there was a family member of a church member, so if that makes sense. There was a family, uh, one of our church members had a family member it doesn't come to our church, but they needed help moving, and through the leadership of our deacons, a group of people got together midday on Friday and helped this person to move. And, I, and I, I, just, I think we need to name those things. And uh, this is a sign of God's love and grace at work in our neighborhood, right? This person needed help. They didn't, they didn't have the community around them to do it. And so God's people are here in this neighborhood. You are here. God has placed us here to be a sign of His presence and love to all of our neighbors. And so I want to celebrate those uh, in our congregation, but also lift up God's name. Uh, and to pray for opportunities you and your family have to love your neighbors in, in small and maybe large ways. But have your eyes open to ways that you can be God's presence and love for those around you through your deeds. So, all right. Our sermon this morning is in the book of Matthew. We have been in Matthew chapter 19 for a few weeks. Uh, we're in a, back in a sermon series called The Gospel According to Matthew. And this morning we are looking at the passage commonly known as the rich young ruler or the rich young man. So please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. Matthew 19, verses 16 to 30. And behold, a man came to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would have eternal life, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect... Go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have great treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of god the disciples heard this and they were greatly astonished saying who then can be saved but jesus looked at them and said with man this is impossible but with god all things are possible we'll stop there this is god's holy word you, Father, Son, holy Spirit. fathers we come we come to sit at your feet lord we confess our ignorance Uh, While we also confess our pride, we think we know uh, how to go about life in this fallen world, and yet you tell us that we don't. And so we come to sit at your feet, speak through your spirit, speak through this sermon to each heart as it needs, uh, encourage us, uh, rebuke us, love us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in this uh, portion of Matthew we've called... Jesus' little sermon on the mountain. We call it that because uh, Jesus' normal sermon on the mountain, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is full of ethical teaching. And here in chapters 18, 19, and 20, Jesus' teaching are again centered around ethics or how are we to live as God's people in a fallen world? How are we to treat one another in conflict? How are we to love one another in marriage? How are we to treat our children? Um, Today, Jesus is going to teach us something very important, and that is how one can enter into the kingdom of God, also known as gaining eternal life or being saved. All of these phrases are synonymous in the Scriptures. Now, as we've seen in other weeks, uh, this teaching came out of a person, a man coming to Jesus and asking a question. And I, I think it's notable in this section as Matthew has put these stories together, all of these stories, a lot of, Je- all of this teaching of Jesus in these chapters, 18, 19, are responses to questions. People are coming to Jesus, asking questions. A couple of things, he's simply responding to the actions of the people around him. But today we hear a question from one who is called a rich young ruler. Uh, this story is in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And that's, that's important. That, that tells us that this was a very important story in the disciples' understanding of Jesus' ministry. And we get little details, different details from each story to where we come to this understanding that this was a wealthy young man who came to Jesus with an important question. The question is, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, what's fascinating is Jesus' response, if we pay close attention, in his response he actually addresses a number of misconceptions or misunderstandings that this man is bringing to him. And I think that's, that's very important for us to see because all of us, when we come to Jesus, We come with a preconceived notion or even an image of who He should be, who we've heard Him to be, and Jesus is jealous uh, to remain who He is, (laughs) and so often we are confronted by Jesus. He he gently takes our questions and reworks them in order to love us, instruct us, and help us us. And so we're going to see Jesus do this very thing for this man who asks about eternal life, and these, because these misconceptions act, act as obstacles in the way. Jesus wants to clear these obstacles so this young man can gain eternal life, and so we want to observe here and see how Jesus' teaching helps us to do the same, to remove the obstacles that get in our way, on the way, to eternal life. So that's where we're going today. Ready? Paying attention? All right, here we go. Well, right off the bat, Jesus uh, begins to correct this man's question. Did you notice the man asked a question? How do I, what good deed must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus responds, uh, like from Zoolander, the main character in Zoolander, let me answer your question with another question why do you call me good? Or why do you ask what is good? Actually, this is fascinating. If you want to go, if you look in Mark and Luke, uh, they phrase the question, what good teacher, what thing must I do to gain eternal life? Here, Matthew renders the question, what good deed must I do? Matthew wants us to see that this young man is focused on deeds, actions. What can I do to gain this thing that I desire, namely, eternal life. So Matthew, many see Jesus' response here in Matthew to be uh, addressing the man's heart. He can see as this man approaches, he's obviously wealthy by what he's wearing, and by the words he uses to ask the question, Jesus intuits what this man is really asking. And the key word in his question is have— What good deed must I do, teacher, to have eternal life? And we could translate this word, get, obtain, possess. This wealthy man comes to Jesus and he is asking, how can I get this thing that I want? I have so many things that my wealth has purchased for me, but this one thing I lack, eternal life, or knowing that I am good with God and I will be with him for eternity so he's asking basically to Jesus, what will it take for me to acquire to possess eternal life as my own? So as, as many wealthy people would, he already thinks of his, himself as blessed. In the Jewish culture, wealth was considered a sign of God's favor. So even as he approaches Jesus, who has gained this reputation as a good teacher, he feels like he's probably 75, 80, 90% of the way there. What am I lacking, Jesus? God obviously loves me. And it's this cultural assumption that leads to the disciples' astonishment that we'll see later on when Jesus says how hard it is, actually, for a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom. Well, we see another, Jesus uh, seek to correct an, this, another misunderstanding of the rich young man who says, how, do I, how can I get, how can I have, how can I possess, perhaps control eternal life? Uh, Jesus says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And so even here, again, Jesus takes the man's words. He changes the verb. He says, eternal life is not something that you can acquire, but it is something that you can enter into. As one commentator put it, Jesus transfers this man from the marketplace to a road or a path, from a place of acquisition and purchase to a place of journey and progress. Jesus is inviting this young man to journey with him to God's kingdom, again, as we'll see at the end when he invites the man to follow him. Part of this understanding Jesus addressing is that goodness is something that comes from outside of us, right? Jesus addresses this immediately. What good deed, what deed can I do that's so good, that's so valuable, that's so inherently filled with glory that God cannot keep me from the kingdom? Immediately, Jesus says, why do you ask about what is good? There is only one who is good, and it is God alone. Jesus conveys to this man, again getting under the skin of his assumptions, that there is nothing good in him. Any goodness that he possesses, any goodness that he experiences, comes on loan from God, if you will. All that is good in this world comes from, originates, flows from God. You see, this man believes that he has within himself, within his wealth, within his physical abilities, within his mental cognition, the ability, if he lacks anything to gain eternal life, that he can get it with all that he is. But as Frederick uh, Bruner, I think that's, maybe that is his name, Frederick Bruner, says, we human beings... Congenitally think our main problem is knowing or willing when it is in fact much deeper, it is being. Jesus is addressing this young man and saying, listen, you're coming in with a lot of assumptions about who you are, about what you can do, even about who God is. We need to address those things. There's nothing good but God alone. This is a much bigger question than you're, that you're asking, much bigger than you think. How can I be good enough for God? How can I earn His favor? How can I know that I have eternal life? So, Jesus continues. He answers His, his question. He says, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now, if you're uh, an evangelical believer in the old school uh, version of that word, evangelical. Uh, this may sound funny to us, right? Because we know, and the Apostle Paul has gone to great lengths to teach us that there, there is no amount of God's law that we can keep and earn eternal life. And yet, it's important for us to know that Jesus doesn't mess with people. <laughs> Jesus gives real and true answers and invitations to all who come to him. You see, if this young man thinks that he has what it takes to earn or to get or to acquire eternal life, then Jesus says, you must keep the commandments. Okay, the young man says. He's not surprised by this answer. This is, in fact, perhaps what he expected Jesus to say, a good teacher of the law. So he responds, which ones? Uh, and here we, he shows his own view of the law, that some laws are more important than others, right? He's going to Jesus, this good teacher, to get the inside scoop. He wants some, some insider information to make a good trade on the stock market of spirituality, get the inside word and uh, get to the top. But what he reveals is a very low view of God's law. As James, the uh, Brother of our Lord teaches us if you fail at one point in the law, you have failed to keep the whole. But this man doesn't believe that. He thinks if he knows the right laws, the ones that really matter to God, he can make it in. Well, how does Jesus respond? He begins to list a number of the Ten Commandments don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, honor your father and your mother, love your neighbor as yourself. and then we might be shocked to see the, the young man say, hey, I've kept all of these. I'm doing great. I'm wealthy. I observe the law. Jesus, like, just give me the word. Tell me that I've already earned God's favor. Uh, now, Jesus elsewhere has taught us how outwardly we can keep the law. We can, we can seem to be keeping the law while internally in the heart we are breaking the law but here from a jewish perspective this man is speaking honestly he's never committed adultery he has never borne false witness that he knows of he sought to honor his father and his mother but rather than speak to this issue directly kind of confront this man jesus does what he does very well as a master teacher and he tells it slant he says okay all right all right all right you wealthy good law keeping young man If you would be perfect, if you really want to know the inside word, here's what you need to do. Go and sell everything, all that you have. Take the proceeds and give it to the poor. Guess what? You'll have incredible wealth in heaven, far greater than the wealth you have here on earth. And then come and follow me. Man, this is gold. This is what the man has been looking for. Here's the real answer. (laughs) But what happens? (laughs) The very next verse. The man went away sad. Why? Because he had great possessions. He had a lot to lose. And here is the final misconception that Jesus is addressing with this young man, this misconception about eternal life. Not only that it was Something he thought he could acquire through his wealth or through his own abilities, but he wanted to be able to maintain his other gods. He wanted to maintain his idolatry. He probably didn't see it as idolatry, but here's where Jesus wanted to catch this young man's heart. You see, everything that he has conveyed so far to Jesus has shown that his wealth is his identity. His wealth is his security. His wealth is where his joy and satisfaction comes with. In fact, he thinks his wealth will help him make it into relationship with God. And so when Jesus invites him to turn away from that wealth, to turn away from his God and come and follow the true God and gain an even greater treasure in heaven where God dwells, the man refuses... And walks away. And so here we see the real heart of the matter. And we see the beauty of Jesus' teaching here, right? He's already exalted God by addressing him as the only good one, right? And then when the man asks for the commandments of God, Jesus lists a number of the Ten Commandments, but he, he lists them from the second half. If you know the Ten Commandments, the first half are about how we are to worship and relate to God. The second half are how we are to relate to one another uh, as fellow human beings created in God's image. But here, with this final invitation, he's exposing that the man, he thinks he's kept all the commandments, but he's actually broken the very first commandment. When God said, you will have no other gods before me. So God has told his people in the law, I am to be first and last. I am to be your security, your joy, your fulfillment. Not your money, not your relationships, not your career. None of those things. You are to have no other gods before me. And so this man with his wealth as his life and his God... It was his source of security, enjoyment, and identity. For Jesus to offer this path to him felt like death. It felt like failing to worship his God, and that that would result in his death. And so he could not do it. And he went away sad because he couldn't have that which he wanted to acquire, this this final thing in his life of eternal life. And beloved, so it is with us. We all have things in our lives that uh, we seek our security, our identity, our joy, apart from God. And they are for us what only God is supposed to be. And this is why Jesus invites those who would come to him to become like little children. This is a theme throughout Matthew 18 and 19. Uh, David just preached on the passage a couple weeks ago about Jesus saying, don't let the little children come to me, for to them is the kingdom of heaven. What is is Jesus trying to convey? Adults have to provide for themselves. They are responsible to make their way in the world, but children, especially little children, are absolutely dependent upon their parents. And So God says, if you would come into the kingdom, if you would come into God's kingdom... You must come as a child. You must let go of all your security, all your control, all of your other gods, and you must submit your life to the one true God, who promises to provide all your needs. It's this—it's uh, this incredible, almost Russian roulette offer. He says, "On the other side of this door is life and joy." and everlasting fulfillment. But the only way to get through this door is to strip away everything that you have. To become like a child in the womb, naked, with no possessions and no identity. And that is a huge ask. Uh, This is why Jesus comes back to his disciples after the young man has gone away, and he says, how hard... It is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he doubles down. He says, in fact, it's harder for a, or it's easier for a camel. This was the largest animal in Palestine. This was the largest animal Jesus hearers could have imagined at this point. It's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into heaven. Now there's been some speculation about a gate in the Jerusalem wall that was called the eye of the needle and stuff. No, 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 no. Jesus is being super uh, down to earth and practical. He's saying, camel, needle. It's easier for that thing to go through here than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying? He's saying it is next to impossible for the human heart to give up its idols. It is next to impossible for a human being infested with sin to give up its clinging to life and to trust in God, to die to itself and to find life in the Lord. His message is that it's impossible. And again, the disciples having this cultural understanding that wealth equals the favor of God, not unlike the health and wealth gospel that is preached today, They're like, who then can be saved if the rich can't be saved? But Jesus is putting his finger on this thing that that the greater the wealth we have, the greater the independence we have, the greater the power we have in our world. And so the greater we are deluded to believe that we are the masters of our own fate. And so it's important for all of us in this room, and likely those watching online, that we are all wealthy. It is hard, it is impossible for every one of us to enter the kingdom of heaven, as this young man tried to do through our own wealth, through our own intellect, through our own abilities. And that's when Jesus gives them the real answer to the question, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And from here, the gospel unfolds, the gospel that we read throughout the rest of the New Testament that none of us are good enough, are able to enter the kingdom of heaven by our own willpower, our own goodness, our own good deeds, but only by the grace and power of God that is offered freely in the gospel, the good news of the gospel. This is why Jesus had to come, the Messiah, the second Adam, the one who did, was born of a woman apart from sin and lived his whole life keeping the law of God. This is why Jesus answered to the man, if you would enter into life, keep the commandments. That is an honest answer. (laughs) That's what Jesus did. And that's how he earned eternal life, for our sake. But we who are infested by sin... The offer is that when we put our faith in Christ, when we say, I am a wretched sinner, I fall short like the songs we sang earlier. But Jesus lived the life I cannot live. Not only did he live the life I cannot live, but he willingly went to the cross and died for the sins of God's people. And so in Jesus, we have the perfect fulfilled package of of a perfect life and a perfect death. He died for our sins, but he has a righteous life that we failed to live, and he gives us both. It's that double blessing of the gospel, not just that our sins are forgiven, but we are blessed with the righteousness of the one who lived a perfect life. This is the good news of the gospel, beloved. Amen? This is our hope. This is how we enter into the kingdom of heaven. What was so astonishing for the disciples and has been impossible for the human heart to understand for the last 2,000 years, which is why we've needed the divinely inspired word of God, one that we, even as believers, often wander from. And I think Jesus' metaphor of the journey towards the kingdom is actually a really helpful one for understanding the Christian life, because the scriptures actually talk about salvation in two ways. One way is that salvation is a moment in time. It is a work of God's free grace in our lives that we have no control over. God comes to us, and he blesses us with faith. Apart from God's redeeming grace, we ourselves couldn't have the, the, the faith to believe in Jesus to begin with. And so God comes up, blesses us with faith, and we are reborn in that moment as Christians, and God's sons and daughters adopted into that family. And yet salvation is also a journey and a pathway and a a work of progress that works out in our lives. And I've seen in my own life, and you probably have as well, that uh, this giving up of idols, this identification of idols, of gods, that we worship and seek our identity Is something that happens again and again in this world, in this life, and that Jesus is jealous to continue to work that in us. That is the work of sanctification. That by placing our faith in Christ, we have have gained immeasurable treasure in heaven. And what is that treasure? But the love of God, (laughs) relationship with our Creator, Uh, peace for our future, and, and healing as we walk this journey together. And yet, day in and day out, as we continue to wrestle with sin, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, continues to identify this item in your life. You are seeking identity, security, and joy apart from me. Let me identify that. Let's work that out of you. And again, it feels like death. A cycle of, of dying to ourselves and yet being born in the spirit of God, and receiving and experiencing that treasure afresh. That is the journey to the kingdom, beloved, that we are on. And I, th- I think sometimes we get confused because we think, well, didn't I come to faith? Aren't I the beloved of God? Why is this life so hard? <laughs> it's because our hearts are idol factories. It continues to make idols again and again that we confess and that are smashed down together. But that is God's promise, that he is leading us. He is our shepherd. He's leading us to the kingdom of heaven. And if you're here this morning and you've never received this invitation, uh, or you haven't yet received this invitation, I invite you to do it this morning. To confess that you are a sinner before God. And that you, would, you will receive the grace of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for you to receive the treasure in heaven that's greater than anything this world has to offer you. You see, it's those lesser gods that are the obstacles to us entering into life, entering into knowing the God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who sent Jesus to die for us. So again, I invite you, Christian or non-Christian today, to be open to and to open yourself to God's work of sanctification in your heart. As he identifies those idols, those places where you're finding life and security, it's, you can sort of ask, what keeps me up at night? That's a great one. You know, Where's my, where do my anxieties and my anger, where do they flow from? That's often the Holy Spirit putting his finger on those things. Because here's the wonderful offer. God wants to remove those obstacles, whoever you are, so that you can have more of him. Thinking about that this morning, I was reminded of Jim Elliott's famous quote when he says, He or she is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, Lord, what a wonderfully terrible message. How can we take hold of eternal life? Well, only through death. Death to ourselves, death to our gods, death to our idols. Uh, And yet through that death, as we follow Jesus to the cross, you promise us a resurrection life, treasure in heaven, greater than anything we could imagine in this life. Father, give us the strength, give us the power, give us the ability to put our faith in Christ afresh this morning, and let us rejoice anew in the kingdom of God, our home. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.